on the stage because that song had me so excited, but I thought I better not chance it because <laughs> it'd be my luck, I'd probably trip and fall. It's so good to be here this morning, and uh, how many are feeling pretty good this morning? Yeah. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. This is a place. This is a place where we can, we can do that. We can, we've come here to celebrate, and so uh, I've really just enjoyed the service up to this point, and everything has just been wonderful. The presence of God we know is here, and so we are going to uh, hopefully speak a word of encouragement to you, a word of... Um, motivation, a word that would challenge you and, and uh, would bless you as you leave this place. And as we always say, that you would leave better for coming. And so we're going to continue. We've been preaching on and, and teaching on a series. Uh, I think I'm the fourth one, and we've been teaching out of the, the 35th chapter of Isaiah. And Andy gave this to us, and the uh, focal point has been, for the most part, and it's on worship. And so uh, I don't think there's any better theme or any better subject than that. Uh, and so we're going to continue with that. Um, I'm just going to read one verse out of the 35th chapter of Isaiah and, uh, and kind of focus in on that as we uh, speak this word this morning. So Isaiah 35 and 10. Yes, we're just going to read that one. I believe it's up on the scripture. It's out of the NIV, and it says, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Somebody ought to give God praise for that. Um, so... Let me give you just a historical context or perspective of Isaiah 35, and not to go too much into it, but uh, if you'll notice, if you have it in the NIV, the heading reads, the joy of the redeemed. But this particular passage of scripture, this, this chapter is dealing with the restoration and redemption of Israel during the millennial kingdom, when Christ comes back and reigns for a thousand years and all things are restored. So this is the response when it talks about the joy of the redeemed. This is Israel's response based on their redemption and their restoration. There has been an ongoing theme. I think Andy presented a theme to us early on uh, in his ministry here. And I, I can't remember how long ago that was. But there was a theme. And I know when I was on the board and, and some of the leadership groups, he, he said what he wanted to present and what he, he wanted to leave people with as they left this worship service. He wanted to leave them with the words as they left those doors saying, what was that? What was that? And so I just want to add on to that and then give you the, the second part to that is what I want to focus on this morning. And that is the response to what was that? The response. The why. Our response, our relationship with God is based on, and I'm thinking, 
God sometimes leads us a different direction, but our relationship to God is based on our response. It's based on our response. Why do I say that? Because God has already done so much. He's already given so much. He's already proven his love for us. Someone once said that if he never did anything else, that would be enough. We say that sometimes at emotional moments, but we're always wanting more. Amen? And that's okay. That's okay because he can handle it. He can handle it. But he has already done so much so that the foundation of our relationship with him is based upon our response. Our response. I just want to give you some, just throw out some scriptures here. Um, and it's not to, to show how well I can remember scripture. It's so that you can have these scriptures to go back and to study and to get, get confirmation. And so that, you know, we, we give some substance of what I'm saying. John 3.16, we all, most of us know it. Not every, everybody knows it. But John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You probably can quote it with me. That he gave. Y'all say it like y'all, y'all say it like y'all a little scared. <laughs> say that with conviction. That, that's your celebration. That's what God has done for you. But John forgot he gave. Okay. Then we talk, we, we throw out Romans 5 and 8, which says, and God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. That is so amazing just to say that. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, that's enough to make you run around this place a few times. Just to think that he didn't wait for us to repent. He didn't wait for us to get right. He didn't wait for us to straighten up our life. But he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Christ died for us. That is awesome. And then Romans 12 and 1 says this. It says, I beseech you, or I urge you, I implore you by the mercies or because of the mercies or, what, or because of what God has already done that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, the response that is the response. Our relationship with God is based on our response. As we talk about worship, the Old Testament definition of worship was, was literally, if you look up the word worship, and I'm not going to give you the, the Hebrew word for it, but if you look it up, it simply means to, to bow down in obeisance. That means in submission, or in, a, in, in submission to the authority of another. It means to prostrate, prostrate, ooh, ooh. Maybe I was thinking about my age, I don't know. I don't know. Help us, Lord, help us. Help us. Prostrate. Prostrate yourself. So that meant literally, and you see figures in the Old Testament, literally of, they were laid down completely belly down, face down in the presence of a king or an authority, someone that they were submitting or reverencing their authority. 
I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> I thought about doing that, but I'm not going to do that right now. But that's what it meant. It meant to prostrate, to, to, to bow down in, to, in submission to the authority of another. And the New Testament, and that which relates to all of us, it goes even further than that. Yes, it is an outward expression of an inward working, but it's more than that. Because in the New Testament, the New, to New Testament believers, it is a posturing of the heart. Yes, it involves the outward expression, but more importantly, it is a posturing of my heart. The place of where God resides and that, that I have submitted to him and he only holds and dwells in that place. So it goes a lot deeper. In the dialogue in, in John 4, uh, Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. And Andy, he, he talked about this earlier. But she has come there and she talks about worship being in a geographical place. And, and in, in that time, meaning Jerusalem. But Jesus says to her, the time is coming and now is where the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. He says the time is coming and now is. We're true worshipers. Do I have any true worshipers in the house this morning? Come on, somebody. Do I have any true worshipers? Because that, 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 that scripture is talking directly to all of us. Okay? True worshipers would worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, it means, it, it, it involves the soul, the entire uh, makeup of my being, of who I am, everything. It encompasses everything. As we talked about the physical of prostrating and laying and submitting, but also the posturing of the heart. It encompasses everything, my entire build, being, when it, when it talks about worshiping God and being a true worshiper. Uh, Jesus said to uh, the religious leaders, they came to him with a question and they said, what is the greatest or the most important commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest or most important commandment is to love the, God, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That is what it's talking about. It's about to worship him in the spirit with your entire being, with everything that I am. I worship God. I worship God. The strength of any relationship, and you'll find this to be true in any relationship, the strength of any relationship is found or based upon my response in times of adversity, or even when it comes to failure. You never really know how strong your relationship is until you meet some adversity. Amen, somebody. I've heard some people say before, when they, when they talked about relationships, whether it was uh, man, woman, or even if it was friends, we've never had an argument. We've never had a disagreement. I don't know what kind of relationship they had. Because every relationship has to bring some challenges. 
okay? We're you two different individuals, two different people. And so you're not going to agree on everything. Hence with God, our relationship, the, 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 the strength of it is proven in times of adversity. How, how will I respond when things are not going well? How will I respond when I messed up? And, and, and that, that may have been even last night. Maybe I, I could have messed up last night. Maybe I came in this morning. Word discouraged about what happened last night or yesterday. But the strength of your relationship is measured by your response in the midst of the adversity. I want to look at David, and before we throw it up on the scripture up there, I want to, I want to give you the backstory because everybody doesn't know it. But I want to use David because David is considered, and we, we look at him as one of the greatest worshipers or examples of worshiping in the Bible. King David, I'm referring to. And so here's David. He's a king and over all of Israel. And he sees this young, this woman, and from his balcony, bathing, and he, he desires her, okay? So he has her, because he is king, he has her brought to his, to his, his place, to his penthouse, so to speak. He has her brought to him, and he, he sleeps with her, okay? She's married, which in turn results, it is considered adultery. Uh, now, uh, in, uh, under, the, under the law, adultery was, was punishable by death. That's how, it, that's how serious it was. But he's king, and he, he sleeps with her, and then he sends her back to her home. Her husband is one of the officers in his army, one of his most faithful military officers. And David tries to cover this up by getting his, her husband to, to take a break from battle to spend time with her. But he is so faithful and so, so unified and so considerate of the other men in the army that he doesn't, he doesn't do it. He won't go home and, and spend time with his wife. So David, to cover it up, he has this man whose name is Uriah, he has him put on the front lines because he knows that if he's put on the front lines, the, the chances are he's going to be killed. So now he has committed not only adultery, but now he has committed murder. He has the man, the, of course he's on the front lines, Uriah is killed, and now he's committed murder and adultery, which are both, which are both punishable by death under the law. Both of them. And so, this is, and so finally, Nathan, who's the prophet, he comes to him and David, and, 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 and tells this little parable about uh, a, a man, and, and, and I won't go into all that, but David finally con confesses his sin before Nathan the prophet. He says, I am the man. I am the man. And so in the process of all of this, God forgives him of his sin because of David's heart. David's heart, he forgives his sin. Nathan says, God has put away your sin. Okay? However, this woman that he sleeps with, whose name is Bathsheba, she becomes pregnant and has a child. 
And in the process of having the child, the child is born, but the child becomes very sick. Um, and David is fasting and he's praying. He won't eat. Um, he's praying continuously that God will uh, heal the child. the child. He will spare the child. And so finally, the child dies. The child dies. And his, his servants are whispering about it, but they're afraid to tell David because they said, well, he was in such agony because of the child's condition. If we tell him the child has died, who knows what he'll do? And I'm paraphrasing. David overhears his, his servants whispering, and he discerns that, okay, the child has died. The child has died. And so as we pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20, this is David's response after learning that the child has now died. In 2 Samuel chapter 20 and... Uh, Verse 20, I'm sorry, chapter 12 and verse 20. This is what David, this is David's response. The word of God says, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, because he had been fasting, put on lotions, changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they, they served him food, and he ate. I don't know how many of us, I don't know if I would be in the mindset. I hope I would. After losing a child, that my response would be to worship him. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. But that is the response. And that's why David, as many of us know, was considered to be a man after God's own heart. And I know we say that many times, and it is true. God declared that. But you're no different than David. You can have a heart that is after God's own heart. <laughs> and I hope we do. But to have that place where God always has a preeminence, where, where God always is worshipped, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. He went in and he worshipped. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're quiet now, and I hope because we're, con we're, we're thinking about that, we're contemplating that, because that challenges us all in our response to life, to life circumstance, to life situations. Because life is not always easy. And life will have its challenges. But what will be my response in the midst of adversity? Even in the midst of my own failure, what would be my response? Worship is synonymous with relationship um, or our response to God. Our, I worship him because of who he is. 
and life's circumstances do not change who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. They don't change who he is. That's why I worship him. We were created. I took note of this. I was, I was, I was thinking about it. We were created as human beings. We were created with five basic senses. We learned this in elementary school. To see, to smell, taste, hear, the touch. We are creatures. All of these things, these five senses, if you notice, they elicit a response. They elicit a response out of us. And so we are creatures of response. That's how we were made. We were made to respond. But here's what's awesome about worship. Worship bypasses my senses and my circumstances. That's why when I feel sad, that's why when I'm discouraged, that's why when I'm hurting, that's why when the day is not going well, that's why when maybe what I see doesn't look right, maybe what I've heard is not a good report, maybe what I'm feeling is not right, but because worship is able to bypass all of those things because of the place that I have given and submitted to God, I can still worship him. I can still worship him. I can still worship him. Salvation is an inward working. It's an inward working that elicits or brings about an outward response. See, there's, 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 there's something working on the inside of me, okay, that, that brings about a response. And here's how it works. The joy that is on the inside, the Holy Spirit, it must be manifested on the outside. There must be a manifestation or an outward, or an outward action or working to manifest what's on the inside. Because my life must have testimony. My life must bring testimony and must testify to who God is, his love for me, his grace, what he has done. It must bring testimony. And when my life brings testimony, then God is glorified. Amen? And at the end of the day, that's why I was created. I was created to worship and to glorify him. That's why I was created. I, I, I know that Monday through Saturday, our worship, again, our worship is, it is our action, but it's more importantly, uh, that, that, that posturing of the heart, but it encompasses all of that. And so my Monday through Saturday sometimes is difficult. There are challenges. And when it comes to worshiping, there are challenges because life brings challenges. 
The job brings challenges. School brings challenges. Relationships bring challenges. It's not as easy. But when I come into this place, when I come into the house of God, when I come into the sanctuary, I can come in and then I can throw up holy hands without inhibitions, without pressures, without persecution, without worry. And I can tell God how much I love him. I can tell him how good he is. Because this place should be the place of celebration. This is a place of celebration. I look at it this way. When I was playing basketball, I practiced. Practiced hard. Put in a lot of time. Worked on my fundamentals. As we say, I worked on my game. That was the hard part. But the game, that was easy. That was the reward. And so those six days out of the week, yes, they can be challenging. But this day, today, Sunday, when we're all here together with those of like precious faith as believers, this is the celebration. This is a place that should be easy. Should be easy because this is a place of celebration. This is where I can, I can do it without any issues, without any problems. It doesn't mean that I don't have problems going on. It doesn't remove the problems I had when I walked into the door. But it makes it easier. <laughs> it makes it easier to worship him. And praise is just an outward expression of worship. So I can come into this place and worship. Because that is what I was created for. I was created to glorify him and to worship him. And so that is the response. That should always be my response. In situation, in circumstance, in challenge, in difficulty, it doesn't matter. It doesn't sound easy. It's not always easy. But that's the response to worship him. We say the cliches, God is good and, 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 and God is good and all the time. So why can't I worship him all the time? That's the question. Why can't I worship him all the time if he's good all the time and all the time he's good? Doesn't matter what happened. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. Doesn't matter what, what life threw at me. If he's good all the time, then he deserves the worship. He deserves the praise. He deserves to be glorified. He deserves to be lifted up. He says that I'll, if I'll be lifted up, and I know what that really meant when Jesus was on the cross, but if I'll be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He deserves the glory. He and so that is the response. And the result, worship, you'll notice in this chapter of Isaiah 35, worship opens a door always. And this is why I say this is always our response. Worship opens the door for restoration. It opens the door for restoration. If you want to be restored, uh, if you want to recover, then I'm going to worship. That's what David recognized. That's what he understood. 
He understood that. He lost a child. Doesn't matter that the child was conceived in wrongdoing. He lost a child. And his response was to worship. Let's look at our scripture, 2 Samuel 12 and 24. And this is, goes on to tell what David and uh, what he did in his response. It says, then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. That's restoration. Now, it, it doesn't remove the pain. Let's be practical. Let's be, it doesn't remove the pain of the first lost child. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying what you went through or what you've endured, is, it removes the pain. But, but your strength is in your struggle. Your strength is in your struggle. We know that we can never be what God has called us to be, is making us to be without struggle, without pain, without suffering. We don't hear those things too often, but Jesus said, if you suffer with me, you'll reign with me. And so those things, tribulation, we want patience. Tribulation produces patience. So I can't get patience. I heard, I heard uh, a pastor saying on, on the YouTube the other day, he says, do you think that when you pray for patience, God takes you out of a situation or changes a situation, or does he put you in a, gives you an opportunity to, to, to have patience? That's a good question. Does he, does, he, does he change it? Does he remove it? Or does he give you the opportunity to be in a situation that, that makes you learn patience? Mm, that's good stuff. Something to think about. But restoration, restoration. Worship always opens the door for restoration. I can remember like it was yesterday. And... Uh, I can remember opening, going to the mailbox and opening the mail and looking at test report, test results of DNA testing. Now I'm going to be a little transparent with you. I can remember opening that, that, that letter and looking at the results of DNA testing. And I remember my son, who was just a little under two years old, lying there asleep on the couch. And I remember opening that letter. And as I opened that letter, seeing the results that said 0% chance, this is your child. And I remember at that moment, I thought I was going to lose it. I really thought I was going to lose it. I didn't think I was going to recover from that. And I remembered, I just began to weep uncontrollably. 
And I remember picking him up from the couch and just holding him in my arms. And, uh, and I called my uncle, and he's like, man, let me come over. You don't need to be by yourself. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I'll, I'll handle it. But I remember that was a time I didn't understand why. But I, I really didn't think I was going to recover from that. I'm telling you, really, how I felt. I didn't think I was going to recover from that. And I, and I said that exactly to God. I said, God, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get through this. You got to help me with this. You got to help me with this. And um, years and um, passed, and there were times where separation and all of that finally took place, but divorce, but I wasn't able to see him. And um, I don't know if you even know what it feels like to be separated from a child that you love, that you can't even see that you watched birth, that you raised, that you held in your arms every day up to two years old. Years passed. And this day, today, he's 27 years old. And my relationship with him is as close and as real as my relationship with both of my biological daughters, Zoe and Whitney. And he's in ministry. He's in ministry. Uh, he's a chaplain in the federal prison in Atlanta, Georgia. He and I are like inseparable. I don't even know how that happened. I was separated from him at two years old, but I know grace of God, because I continue to worship him. I continue to honor him in the midst of all of it. I continue to put aside that place in my heart that was only reserved for him, and he brought it full circle. He brought it full circle. He said to me one day, he was in high school, and uh, he says, uh, you sure, you sure you, uh, that I'm not your son? You know, biologically, yeah. Because he calls me dad and has never called me anything but dad. I said, yeah, yeah, we, we're sure. But it doesn't matter what the report says. What matters is what's in my heart for you and what's in your heart for me, what God has created, what the grace of God has sustained and built. That's what matters. And uh, so I, I just want to share that with you because worship, that posturing of your heart, that no matter what life brings and no matter what life throws at you, it's never in vain. It opens the door to restoration. It sustains you. And God will sustain you through all of it. I'm a witness. I'm telling you. I was at the point where 
and I'm sure people can testify they've been in that place, whatever the circumstances. I really did not think I was going to recover through that. And I, I, think, I think from a human perspective, from even my spiritual, I think I'm a strong person. But that, that was a, that was a lot. But God is good all the time and all the time. Praise God. I want to pray with you real quick, and then I think Andy's going to come and close out. Thank you for, for, for sending and hearing and listening, and I hope you receive something today. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace, for your mercies, for your loving kindness. Let our response always be to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to set aside that place in our hearts that only you reside, that, Lord, you would always have the preeminence in our lives. I pray that upon each one of these individuals that leave this place today, that that will be in their hearts and their spirits, that they would receive it, and that they be blessed because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.